Good evening, everyone. That was two of you. Good evening, everyone. A little bit better. Nice to see all of you here at Grace Church tonight. Absolutely. We're so glad that you could be with us this evening. Those of you here with us on campus and those of you joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we'd like to say welcome to you as well. I want to give you just a few announcements and uh, I want to drop something on you that I read today that I, I found especially interesting, something that I'd never heard before, before Pastor comes this evening. But I do have some very important announcements and uh, encourage you to listen closely to these because some of these denote a change to our regular schedule of services here on campus. So first of all, uh, as you know, the holiday seasons are upon us and uh, next week we will be celebrating Thanksgiving with all of that delicious Thanksgiving food that I really look forward to every year. But as, uh, as a result of that Tuesday, November 23rd, uh, Tuesday morning prayer will be, will be dismissed. Also that Wednesday, the 24th, our midweek service will be dismissed. And then also the 27th, that Saturday, we typically have men's prayer the last Saturday of every month. That will also be dismissed as well. So please make note of those changes. We also want to remind you that on the 19th of December, we will have our Christmas service, and that will be a very special time, and uh, definitely looking forward to that. And while I'm mentioning that, in addition to our Christmas service on the 19th, we also ask that you come prepared to give to the Christmas for Christ offering, and there are some special envelopes that are available in the front lobby. Somebody already took the $1 envelope, and uh, I was I was disappointed to see so now I'm going to have to pick a different envelope or two but if you were looking for that one dollar envelope you waited too long you waited too long you'll have to pick a different one but um, there are some ambitious envelopes on that board out there I encourage you to uh, pray before you pick some of those but um, anyway God bless you for that and then uh, also we've been making this announcement we will continue to do so but please make sure that the church has your updated address if you have moved uh, we do send out those end-of-year uh, statements for your financial contributions to Grace Church, and we want to make sure that those statements go to the right place. So uh, if you haven't already, and if you've moved, you have a new address, please get that information updated uh, by getting it to the church office as soon as possible. We appreciate that. So um, this just kind of happened today. I, I've been doing a, a pretty different reading plan over this past year. It's called Blended. And it just kind of blends scripture. You'll read a little bit from the Old Testament, New Testament. And, uh, today, I was actually reading in Luke chapter 2, which is, uh, those of you that have been in Sunday school for a little while, you know that that's typically the chapter that we go to around Christmas time because it talks about the birth of Jesus. And uh, the particular translation that I was reading from this morning is called the Passion Translation. And it's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting in that there are a lot of uh, intertextual notes and little snippets of history. And I want to share that um, one of those with you this evening because I've never heard it before. Maybe some of you biblical scholars have, but uh, it was just pretty, uh, pretty revelatory to me. It says, that night in the field near Bethlehem, shepherds were watching over their flocks. And suddenly an angel of the, of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God, and the shepherds were terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid, for I've come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard, and it is for everyone everywhere. For today, in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him 
by this miraculous sign. This is verse 12. You will recognize him by this miraculous sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in the feeding trough. And we've heard wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. But listen to this. It says, the shepherds that night were probably near Bethlehem at Migdal Eder, which literally means the watchtower of the flock. This would fulfill both the prophecies of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and Micah 4, verse 8, which say to you, or to you he, will come your dominion or your kingdom from old will arrive. Now listen to this. It was at the lower floor of the watchtower at Migdal Eder that the birthing of the Passover lambs would take place. Selected female sheep that were about to give birth would be brought there. And after the birth of the lambs, the priestly shepherds would wrap the lambs in cloth and lay them in a manger lined with soft hay to prevent them from hurting themselves. For Passover lambs must be unblemished with no bruises or broken bones. So the miracle sign for these priestly shepherds would be not a baby sheep, but a baby boy lying where the Passover lamb should be in a manger wrapped in strips of cloth. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term uh, God nod. Sometimes people call it a God wink. But little things that God does to let you know that he's paying attention to you in your life. Have you ever experienced one of those? Just just God letting you know, hey, you're, you're on my radar. I know what's going on in your life. Can you imagine these shepherds? that had been through what was probably a pretty unnerving experience with an angel suddenly appearing and announcing the birth of Messiah and going to the place where they would typically find a Passover lamb. Instead, they find this baby boy wrapped in a manger. Just God saying, I know what you were looking for. And it's a little bit different than what you thought you would find, but, but here it is, a little God nod. So I appreciated that today, and it, it, made me, uh, it made me appreciate a different aspect of the birth of Christ and the story surrounding that in a way that I never had before. And I hope you find that as meaningful and as insightful as I did. So that's all I've got for you this evening. Now pastor's coming with the real Bible study. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Great to see you everybody here tonight and uh, I want to thank you so very much for coming and uh, I must take a moment and just comment on <clears throat> how amazing I believe the past I don't know five six seven eight services here have been including both Sunday night and Wednesday night I believe we've seen just an absolute amazing uh, move of God, and uh, we've heard some outstanding teaching and preaching. And uh, I love our ministry team very, very much, and I think all of them do a phenomenal job when they're called on uh, to fill the pulpit for whatever reason. And I love and appreciate them so very much, and I've paid close attention to their preaching, to their teaching, and every time they've been in the pulpit, they've come very well prepared and with something to say. And uh, I deeply, deeply appreciate that. I want to, 
wander down a path here for a moment. Before I do that, uh, I'll make you aware, and I hope it's not too distracting. I saw a very, um, a very well-known minister do this one time. It was actually because of the times, but he came to the pulpit with a cough drop in his mouth. And uh, Sister Murph will tell you, for the past several weeks, I've had this cough thing going on. Uh, I do know that some of you uh, have called and said, I'm not going to be at church because I'm coughing so bad it would be a distraction. But I don't particularly have that option. So I have a cough drop in my mouth tonight, and I hope it's not too distracting. But hopefully it will keep that at bay. If it doesn't work, I'm going to try a ham sandwich and a glass of milk next time and see if that will work a little bit better. Uh, I want to go down a path just for a moment tonight, and it's going to segue me into what I have come to present to you tonight. When I'm in the pulpit speaking, uh, preaching, teaching, whatever the venue is, I don't, I don't just notice uh, every little thing that goes on in the building. I've had numerous people through the years walked up after church and say, did my child or my baby bother you tonight while you were preaching and speaking? And honestly, I didn't even notice if there was something, commotion going on, I didn't notice it. Uh, but when you're not speaking and you're sitting up here, uh, I've been amazed at while our ministry team is preaching, teaching, pouring their heart into a presentation at the amount of walking in and out, uh, people on their phones, um, I'll tell you straight up tonight, I believe it's rude. I believe it's just straight up rude that these people have taken hours, and all of them work full-time jobs, and they, they take hours in preparation. They don't come up here with stuff they glean from the Internet, and the Internet's full of stuff. But they pray, they work hard, and I believe that it's just a courtesy, if nothing else, us being Holy Ghost-filled people be able to sit there for 30 to 45 minutes, whatever it is, and put that down long enough to listen to what's being said behind the pulpit. It's, it, this, is the, this is the level I put preaching on. This is the level I put teaching on. Actually, I put it on a higher level. But just so you'll understand, if you've had a loved one that's just gone through five or six hours of, of, of some kind of real serious surgery, Finally, the surgery is completed, and the doctor calls you into that little consultation room, and he's giving you the information about your loved one, and you're just going to pull out your phone and just go ahead and just scroll through, you know, Facebook and social media and, and, and just completely pass off what he's saying. Or if you've been sued by somebody and your attorney is trying to explain to you what's going on and what to expect and what to be prepared for and you just decide you know what that's not really important to me right now I'm going to go ahead and just pull up my phone and see what's going on on social media um, I don't understand that thinking and I will tell you tonight and it's certainly applicable to what I'm about to present to you tonight I believe what you hear and I, uh, I'm, I hope there's a host of people watching live stream right now um, there's people here that's typically here on Wednesday night that's not here tonight I hope they're watching on live stream 
of what we share with you as, as ministers, preachers, men of God, etc., will save your soul. It will. It can. And for us to be flippant, uh, I watched somebody a couple of weeks ago on their phone the entire time one of our ministry team uh, ministers was, was preaching or teaching, whatever it was, sitting next to someone who hardly ever comes to church. And they were on their phone the entire time. And I'm like, how can you do that? Especially when the person you're sitting next to you that hardly ever comes to church is related to you. And you've expressed interest to me personally how you want this person back living for God, on fire for God and what have you, but you can't sit. Okay, y'all get the point? Uh, what goes on in this pulpit is not for, for the congregation to pick and choose what part of it's important to me. We absorb the whole thing, <clears throat> and that's the presentation. So hopefully, as time draws to a conclusion, I believe we're absolutely in the, the last days, and, and, and you'd have to be the proverbial hot ostrich with your head in the sand to, know, to not know what's going on in our world today. Anything can happen. Anywhere, anytime on this planet, there's two trials going on in this country right now that if the verdict don't go the way that the political world seems it should, uh, God only knows the destruction that's, that, that's coming. Um, we, the, the situation between that is going on with China and Russia, China threatened to invade Taiwan, um, um, Russia threatening to invade uh, Crimea, what have you, we're living in very volatile times, folks, and we can't be less in our fervency and our relationship with God. Uh, we just can't. So that being said, this is going to segue me into my presentation tonight. And I want to read tonight from James chapter 1, verse 14. And some of you may feel like this is not applicable to you. Just remember what I just said. It's applicable to anybody. It's applicable to everybody. The wise man said to him that thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. There's people I know tonight, literally by the hundreds, that used to attend church on a regular basis, and right now you couldn't hardly get them to come to church outside of a wedding or a funeral. Um, don't feel like you're, you're not susceptible or don't have the potential for what I'm going to present tonight. This is also, Lord willing, will be a segue into what we're planning for Sunday. James chapter 1, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Notice verse 16. This applies to everybody. Do not err. Do not make a mistake, my beloved brethren. My title tonight is Bizarre, and I realize that. And <laughs> um, But here goes. Backsliding? Why? I want everyone to understand tonight that, and, and, and you're looking at a man, I had this conversation with somebody just several days ago, I'm, I'm not a person much for labels, I, I, I don't, 
I don't like to label people. I don't like to be labeled. I don't think anybody likes to be labeled. I don't like to be labeled old. Somebody referred to me as old the other day and said, excuse me, older. That didn't help. But backsliding is a principle that is taught in the Bible. It's, it's one that we can't overlook. It's one that we can't just do away with it and not worry about it and say it's somebody else's problem. No, it's our problem. I believe we are our brother's keeper. By a show of hands tonight, if you don't mind, would you mind raising your hand if you know someone that you believe is in a backslidden condition tonight right now? Everybody, virtually everybody in this building, almost everybody raised their hand. I would like to ask Grace Church tonight, what are we doing about that? And could we do more? This is coming from a long series of process in my life over the past number of weeks, and I'm pouring my heart out to you tonight. I want everybody to understand tonight that what backsliding is. Backsliding is breaking fellowship with God. It's not just you easing up on the the gas pedal of Christianity and and faithfulness and that kind of thing. Backsliding is breaking fellowship with God. It's separating yourself from God. Um, I'd put it on a similar term as being separated in marriage. You, You don't want to cohabitate, live, exist with your spouse anymore, so you're going to separate. I've heard people refer to their marital status many times through the years as my spouse and I are separated. I'm sure all of you have heard that. It's what backsliding is. You People don't always look at it through that lens. And there's people tonight that it grieves my heart that according to biblical principle, they are backslidden. But they won't admit it. They won't face the reality of their spiritual condition. So it's breaking fellowship with God. The Bible teaches that sin breaks fellowship with God. Uh, It's becoming at ease in the things of God. And it can happen in church. It can happen out of church. A backslider is a saved person who falls backwards or back into sin. Now it doesn't have to be the same degree of sin that they were in when they came to God the first time, but any level of sin is backsliding. This, of course, if you read the Word of God, you'll find a lot of examples in the Bible of people who have backslidden, and this, of course, their backslidden condition is determined by the dispensation they lived in. Uh, Some of the examples that come to my mind are first of all of Noah when he built the ark. Went through all of that. And the Bible said when he came off the ark after the flood he became a husbandman. That word means earth man. And instead of building an altar dedicating himself to God in appreciation of God saving his life and his family Instead, Noah planted a vineyard and became drunk and was mocked by one of his sons. It's interesting to me how people do that. But according to the very simple dispensation Noah lived in at that time, he could be considered 
a backslider. Abraham backslid for a time. Peter in the New Testament did. Lot did. Abraham's nephew did. David in the Old Testament backslid. So a lost sinner cannot be a backslider. You have to go somewhere before you can slide back to your place of origin. I believe we would all agree tonight that some stay backslidden longer than others. For Peter in the New Testament, it was a matter of days. But for David in the Old Testament, it was a matter of months. Lot, it was a matter of years. Vance Havner said one time that most church members live so far below the standard of Christianity that you would have to backslide to be in fellowship. A sarcastic statement, but there's some truth to that in principle. So what I've come to talk to you about tonight, and there'll be several things, is what causes backsliding? What causes it? If I ask you that question, I'm sure all of you could give an answer, and it would probably be correct or uh, very close to being correct. But I'll begin tonight with the lust of the flesh. I'll remind you tonight that backsliding is real. It happens every day in every church. In the lives of Christian people, it happens. People backslide. But the question I would like to ask at this point in this presentation is why? Again, I'll begin tonight with the lust of the flesh. Paul said in Romans, now... People who are backslidden or backsliding, the Word of God really don't mean all that much. I'm going to come to that in a little bit. Everybody listen to me tonight. I know where I'm going. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, Paul said. For to will is present with me. In other words, I have choices to make all the time, and it's my will pretty much the choice that I make. But how to perform that which is good, he said, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that's what I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's talking about people who have a lust or a desire for the world. They are too fleshy. They're too carnal. There's not a spiritual dominance in them. There's not a spiritual dominator in them, if you will. So Paul said that there's a war going on in us for our loyalty between our flesh that wants to sin and wants to do worldly stuff and the spirit part of us that wants to please God, which is basically our conscience, our heart, And our knowledge. (coughs) Someone has said, who wins between flesh and spirit? Who wins? That question was answered. The one we feed the most is the one that wins. I read a story in which some shipwrecked men were left drifting aimlessly on the ocean in a lifeboat as the days passed under the hot scorching sun their rations of food and fresh water gave out pretty quickly and the men grew deliriously thirsty 
One night while the others were asleep, one man ignores all previous warnings and gulps down some salt water and he quickly dies. Ocean water contains seven times more salt than the human body can safely ingest. Drinking it, a person dehydrates because the kidneys demand extra water to flush the overload of salt. The more salt water someone drinks, the thirstier he gets, and he actually dies of thirst. When we lust after the world, the flesh, all of these things, we become like this man. We thirst desperately for something that looks like what we want. But we don't realize, however, it is precisely the opposite of what we really need. And in fact, it can kill us. And that's what James said about sin. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. I want everybody here to know tonight that it doesn't matter what level of sin you ingest into your life. It will kill you if you don't do something about it. It will cause you to die physically. Yes, it will. The Bible teaches that. But it will also cause a spiritual death in which when you face God, you are not ready to face God. I can't say this hard enough, loud enough. And I know tonight in my heart that people are just not going to take this all that serious. It's kind of like the man that's been given that horrible news you've, you've got some incurable disease you have three months to live and he parties his life away till he dies and does nothing for his soul the second cause for backsliding is a light-hearted love for Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 the Bible said unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of of the seven golden candlesticks, which is the church. He said, I know thy works, I know thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and found them to be liars, and is born, and had patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. There's a lot of church people I know that live in this bracket. They're wonderful, wonderful people, but something happened. It could be being burned by another preacher. It could be burned by being burned by this preacher. It could be burned by a church, by a family, by marriage, by anything. But something happened. Verse 4 said, Jesus is saying to the church of Ephesus, but I have somewhat against thee because you have left your first love. You don't love me like you did at one time. You don't love me like you did in some past history of your life. I think our spouse would feel a little bit degraded, somewhat perhaps, perhaps maybe even a little insulted. Uh, they wouldn't feel very much value if they perceived that you didn't love them as much as you once did. that's how God feels if you don't love him as much now as you once did then he, he actually in my opinion has a right to feel less valuable to you uh, less worthy of your adoration 
There's a story, and I love the story. The principle of it is amazing to me. But there's a story of a man and woman riding down the road and meeting a car in which a young married couple were sitting close together. Anybody here tonight, married people used to do that? (laughs) I always loved it when we had a car with a bench seat in the front where Sister Murphy could sit right there in the middle close to me. I always loved that. I'd ask my mother sometimes if I could use her 69 Chevrolet Impala to take Sister Murphy out on the nice day because it had a bench seat in the front and she could ride right there beside me. Besides that, it had an air conditioner in my car, didn't it? But they encountered this young married couple who were sitting all close together, and the woman said to her husband of many years, Why don't we sit like that anymore? And the man replied, I haven't moved. probably a lot of ladies here tonight and I'm not going to ask show of hands but you're so thankful for them bucket seats that you don't have to sit next to that old rascal anymore as this would apply to our lives who moved in our relationship with God did God or did we move it is not God God has proven and demonstrated to all of us that he loves us with an everlasting love Many Christians are in a backslidden state because they moved. They left Jesus. I'll come to this in a moment, but Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He left Paul. The prodigal son left his father. He left. Y'all excuse my voice tonight, and I'm trying not to get too preachy. One man observed one time in the, in the beginning, he said, referring to the church of Acts, the book of Acts church. In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America where it became an enterprise. I believe that's a whole lot of our religious culture and environment today the third cause that can cause people to backslide is a love of the world a love for the world James said in his epistle you adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God whosoever therefore will bring a friend will be a friend of the world if you're a friend of the world you are an enemy with God doesn't matter what you say it's how God takes it A lot of people feel like in a backslidden condition or one that is beginning that I can love the world, I can do things in the world and still love Jesus at the same time, but God disagrees. And what the writer is saying here today, as far as my understanding goes, he says adulterers and adulteresses, it's like you tell your spouse, I'm going to have intimate relationships with other people, but that doesn't mean I love you less. You may think that. But the spouse doesn't think of it that way. I remember a song when I was a teenager, when I was a heathen and listened to pop music. A woman sang a song, I don't even know her name. But she said, torn between two lovers, feeling like a fool, loving both of you is breaking all the rules. That's nonsense. 
That doesn't hold water. It doesn't stand up. You can't have an affair with someone else and expect your spouse to be cool with it. You're an idiot if you think that. You're stupid. You're ignorant if you think that. Lot was lured by the world in Sodom. He was lured by the world and he got into it. But in doing so, it got into him. <laughs> and people don't always calculate that when they want to embrace some things of the world and begin to abandon the things of God. Um, they don't realize that it's not just you straying out and doing things, but after a while, that's going to get into you. And then you can't help it. Something you're going to have to do. Paul was hurt by Demas, as I referred to a moment ago, he who forsook him for the love of the world. Listen to this illustration. It brings it so home. It brings it so home to, to truth. One day a department store manager left all the windows open. A great windstorm blew all the price markers around the store, causing them to land in total disarray. But the next day when the shoppers showed up at the store, <coughs> the shoppers were delighted to see socks for $149.95. But suits were $1.19. And shoes were $0.05. Cents. And a scarf was $1,299.99. Price tags got all messed up. And we don't understand tonight how worldly Christians live like this every day. They put low value on spiritual things and high value on things of the world. I want to encourage people here tonight, stop living your life as though your price tags are all messed up. There's a lot more reasons tonight that I could give you for a person backsliding, probably the most prevalent in our area, and I've chosen not to go into it tonight. Probably we'll reserve that for another time. But people being hurt by people. People being hurt by people. By churches, you all know that. And um, it's happened here. It happens everywhere. We'll go into that another time. But we, we've covered the, the three, four, five basic ideas of why people want to separate themselves from God. Tonight, for the remainder of time I have, I want to talk to you about the character of backsliding. Um, it's unholy living to begin with. Jeremiah said to the Jewish people, Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods whom you know not? If I could somehow tonight take a little while and just completely break this down and apply it to us, essentially asking you, will you completely go in direct violation of things that the Bible teaches? Will you do that and then become a servant to sins and addictions and lifestyles and what have you that, that you really don't even understand the consequences of it all? Most people here tonight would answer, probably everybody here tonight would answer with a resounding no, I would never do that. But there are people, even that are part of Grace Church, that are doing that as we preach tonight. I've been fascinated through the years. Um, next, next May, um, 
I'll turn 65 years old, which will be my 40-year mark in ministry. I've been in ministry when I was 25. It'll be 40 years I've been in ministry. And I've been fascinated through the years. I've talked to a lot of them, seen a lot of people, talked to a lot of people. I've talked to a people of uh, to people of a very late, a very recent time, and many talked to many people many years ago. This is one consistency that I hear with people who are backsliding or have backslidden. I've been fascinated through the years with people who at one time lived a truly committed life to Jesus, but something happens. It can be any number of things. I won't take time to try it. We've named some things already. But all of a sudden, this person gets some kind of a new revelation that the Bible doesn't mean what it used to. And that fascinates me. It doesn't mean what it used to. The scriptures, the principles, the concepts that I lived by at one time or another that I used to testify about, that I would witness to other people about. All of a sudden, I've had this revelation. I've come to this knowledge, this new knowledge. It's amazing. How I never pray. I very rarely attend church anymore. I haven't read the Bible in years. But I got this revelation all of a sudden. Excuse me for being cynical. But I'm saying it the way it is. That that don't apply to me anymore. I don't feel like I have to live all that. I don't have to obey all of that like everybody else does. Somehow or another God has given me some dispensation of mercy and grace. And I can pretty much do what I want. And I come to church. And I'll lift my hands and worship the Lord. And all that kind of stuff. And um, all the new, all the, the, the scripture stuff that I used to live by, that doesn't, it doesn't mean what it used to. It doesn't apply to me anymore. I'm just going to do what I feel is right. Um, it's amazing to me how people come to that revelation. Now you, there's scores of people that have told me that, and it amazes me every time I hear it. There's no basis of legitimacy to any such thing. It is the ultimate deception by the devil. That he has done to these people. But one man tells a story that when he was a boy, his father had a farm that did not have a well. Their source of water was a spring in a valley, and only a cup or two of water could be obtained easily. So his father got a 16 inch tile of sorts and planted it over the spring, and this tile was always full, and it was easy to get watered then by the pail if needed. You could just dip it out. And these boys loved to drink from the surface of the spring as it overflowed from this tile. (coughs) But one day, some kind of a crab took up residence in that spring. And the boys would get thirsty, but as they bent over to drink, sometimes a crab would go burring and disturb the waters, and it would take several minutes for the spring waters to clear up enough to be safe for them to drink. And one day, the father just got tired of fighting with all of that, He took the boys to the spring and they dug down until they found the crab. The father killed the crab. And from that time forward, there was no stirring up and mucking up the water anymore. So the boys would have to wait before they could drink. Carnality is like that old crab. Listen to me tonight. It is untamable. Carnality is untamable. It's unpredictable. And it is always destructive to peace and happiness It's always destructive to maintain a healthy relationship with God. And that's why we must, at all costs, at every price, live our lives pure and disciplined. It's not easy, it's not convenient, and it's certainly not acceptable in this world. But the Bible doesn't change. And God's 
requirements, prerequisites, all of that for a healthy relationship with him hasn't changed regardless of how you may have think that it has. The other part to the character of backsliding is not only unholy living, but it's uncommitted service. You to notice, and this just accentuates the things that I've just said just moments ago. In Proverbs 14, 14, the Bible said, the wise man said, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Notice it's his ways. The backslider would be filled with his own ways. This is the way I see it. This is the way I believe it. This is the way I'm going to do it. Not the way God wants me to do it. And if God wants me to go to heaven, then he's just going to have to accept me as I am. It doesn't work that way. A person beginning to backslide, notice, a person beginning to backslide begins to neglect such things as Bible reading, prayer, giving, concern for lost friends and family, service in God's kingdom. I know people right now that attend Grace Church that used to be concerned about other people in Grace Church. It was lukewarm, backsliding, and all of that kind of stuff. And what can we do to get them back? Now, they are living just like those people. And this is what the wise man is talking about. A backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. This is what I think is right. I don't care what the preacher says, the church says, my mama, my daddy, my family, whoever. I'm going to do what I want to do. The testimony of a man who neglected the Lord's work, he, he wrote this one day. It's a little piece of poetry. But he said, I looked upon a farm one day that once I used to own. The barn had fallen to the ground and the fields were overgrown. The house in which my children grew where we had lived for years, I turned to see it broken down and brushed aside with tears. I looked upon my own soul one day to find it too had grown with thorns and nettles everywhere the seeds of neglect had sown. The years had passed while I had cared for things of lesser worth, the things of heaven I let go while minding things of earth. To Christ I turned with bitter tears and cried, O Lord, forgive. I have not much time left for thee, not many years to live. The wasted years forever gone, the days I can't recall. If I could live those days again, I'd make him Lord of all. The next part, and I'm bringing this to a conclusion of the character of backsliding, is it brings an element of unhappiness that is unbelievable. Jeremiah 3.23 or 3.25 says, We lie down in our shame. And our confusion covers us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God. And we and our fathers from our youth even unto this day. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. They, the backslider, they bring shame not only on themselves but God himself. Robert Robinson noticed this tonight. Had been saved out of a tempestuous life of sin through George Whitfield's ministry in England. Shortly after that, at the age of 23, Robinson wrote a hymn titled, Come Thy Fount, or Fountain. Come thy fount of every blessing, he wrote. Streams of mercy never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. 
But sadly, Robert Robinson wandered far from those streams and like the prodigal son, journeyed into the district country of carnality until one day he was traveling by stagecoach and sitting beside him was a young woman engrossed in her book and she ran across a verse she thought was beautiful and asked Robinson what he thought about it. She read it out loud. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Bursting into tears, Robinson said, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. So I want everyone here tonight to know in conclusion there's consequences to backsliding. First of all, the backslider hurts community or hurts society. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, that's backsliding. Wherewith shall it be salted? Since forth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of man. Jonah's backsliding got him into trouble. Yes, it did. But it also caused the sailors on the ship with him to get in trouble. Lot was an upstanding citizen of Sodom, but his backsliding caused his own daughters to mock him and horribly disrespect him through an incestuous relationship. Backsliding. Backslider hurts him or herself. The psalmist said, Then will I visit their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. What a painful reminder of the consequences of sin. You cannot backslide without suffering. God promises punishment to those who continue in sin. He, he told the Israelites that they would be helpless when he sent the Chaldeans upon them. John R. Rice once said, I love my children. I love them so much. And I want them to do right and be happy and succeed in the Christian life. So sometimes I discipline them for their disobedience. It's painful, he said, but it is done in love and for their good. And God does the same. But ultimately tonight, the backslider hurts Jesus. He hurts the Savior. I believe one of the most compelling verses in the Bible is in Luke chapter 22, verse 61. And the Lord turned. He was being crucified that night. Jesus turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me three times. Peter walked away and wept and sobbed and wept. If we could see into heaven, we would realize that Jesus is not rejoicing over our sins, but he is hurt over our sins. In conclusion, tonight a boy invited a girl to go to a certain night spot with him. But she turned him down. And he said, oh, you can't go because your father might hurt you or you might get in trouble with your father. She said, no, I can't go because it will hurt my father. Father. Wish we could look at Jesus more like this young lady looked at her dad. I'm not going to do things to the best of my ability that I know is going to hurt the heart of God just so I can have my way. We have to understand tonight, folks, and I hope there's folks watching live stream tonight, that you don't want to hurt God's feelings too bad because when he disciplines, it can be severe. And it may not be right away. It may be a while down the road. 
can't sin and get away with it forever. It's always a consequence. So the cure for backsliding is not to try to cover up your sin or deny it, but to confess it to the Lord in repentance. Seek the Lord with your whole heart and soul, and I can promise you he is just and faithful to forgive sin when you ask him. Would you stand with me tonight? Before we dismiss tonight, and I know that sometimes the atmosphere is much lighter, much easier, but tonight is a little bit more sober. Before we're dismissed tonight, I'd like for you to, those of you that know the old song, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me, that forever I may do my part to win that soul to thee. Think of a backslider tonight that you know. Maybe they're here. Maybe they're somewhere else. But let's have just a moment of fervent prayer that God will use you to love them and win them back to the Lord. Can we pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus? We've done our best tonight to bring this message to a church that loves people, to a church that loves those that are wayward. God, we're not trying to label, we're not trying to condemn, we're not trying to cast judgment, but it is a reality. It's a biblical reality, and there's folks around us the names can pour into our head when we sit down and stop to think about it. But these people were once in a right relationship with you and they're not now. If the rapture came, if the death came, I would put them in the hands of God, but heaven may not be theirs. I pray, God, tonight that you would use this bunch, this bunch of people at Grace Church to reach out to these wayward prodigals who probably deep down inside their heart want to come back but don't know how. They don't have a path. But if someone would reach out and love them, call them, talk to them, who knows what might would happen. Help us, God, not to judge them but to love them. To somehow bridge that gap between hurt and bitterness, between worldliness, all of these things. And to show them the true love of God and how it is an absolute necessity for them to be back in the kingdom of God on fire for God again. I pray tonight that you would bless this word that's been imparted. That it would lodge into our hearts and minds and not soon be forgotten. And help us to love those around us that at one time loved you. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you. And Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday morning.